0: enjoy a tall cool dude what is this
1: what what are we doing what in god's name are we doing what
2: our lives what what kind of lives are these we're like children we're not men no we're not we're not men
0: it's the nightcap
2: are we gonna be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR, Sports Radio 550. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes.
3: Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. It's finally over. You no longer, after tonight, have to listen to me... Sitting here and yell about how bad Zay Jones is. No more. The Bills have traded Zay Jones to the Oakland Raiders for a fifth-round pick in 2021. How much does it matter to the team right now? Probably not that much at all. But, hey man, you want to be in big games late in the season, and you're in big games, and you might be going down the stretch with some good teams. You're going to want some receivers you can trust. I never thought that the Bills could trust Zay Jones. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. A quick word on the Bills trade that they made today. Um, and then I've got some thoughts on the playoffs. Is it too early to be talking about the playoffs? I'm ready. I heard Bulldog today on the afternoon show make the point that like the ship is here, let's go out on the water and let's see what we got. And I'm ready for that. I'm not, usually, I'm a little... Hesitant to jump on the bandwagon, you just you know what? Over the years, you get hit back and forth so many times. A couple of four and zero starts, a five and two start, a couple other great season starts, and then they pull you back, right back to where you usually are which is uh, maybe I'm in the, on the in the hunt graphic but maybe I'm not maybe I'm thinking about losing games to get draft status at the end of seasons and that's never a place you want to be in and maybe I'm thinking about should the coach be fired or what what am I doing at quarterback or uh, all of that and finally they're in a spot where I'm excited fans are excited I want to talk some I want to, I want to look ahead because I am I am thinking as though they are going to make the playoffs So before I do that, just a quick word on Zay Jones, the trade the Bills made. They send him, the former second-round pick, to Oakland for a fifth in 2021. I'll be honest. I thought we were trending towards his being cut. I wonder if they would have cut him had they not got anything in return. But they do get a fifth-round pick, which is not nothing. You know, Kyle Williams was a fifth-round pick. You never know. Um... Who was their fifth round pick uh, this past season? Someone that's making a difference. No, Tommy Sweeney was a seventh. Saran Neal last year maybe is who I'm thinking of. He might have been a fourth though. So you never know. It's not it's not a nothing asset. It's not a great asset. Ideally, you don't want to be trading your former second round pick for a fifth a couple years down the road. But that's where the Bills ended up from the beginning. I was never a big Zay Jones fan. The first game he played for the Bills was the beginning of a trend. His hands. He didn't have it. He could not make contested catches. He had problems with drops. He tipped the ball up in the air a lot. You just could not trust him when the game's on the line. I think... I think about that Charles Clay drop last year against Miami, and a lot of times I think there wasn't a receiver on that team that makes that catch. I remember making that point last season. I don't, sure, Charles Clay deserved to be criticized for not coming up with that ball against Miami at the end of last season. But it was the, he was just the poster boy for what I thought needed to be a sweeping change of the bills at wide receiver, tight end, and running back. And I will give the Bills a ton of credit. We are not even 12 months from that game when I had had enough of who their weapons were around their quarterback. I mean, I was I was not happy with who they were at the beginning of last season. That, that was the thing I yelled about probably more than even Zay Jones in here. But I will give them a lot of credit. They have completely made over all of their skilled positions. They have gone from Benjamin, Holmes, Zay Jones, to John Brown, Cole Beasley, Duke Williams. It's a huge upgrade. Huge upgrade. You have two guys that get open. Beasley, who is tremendous against zone coverage. I heard Eric Wood make this point on our station this morning. Beasley's great against zone coverage. John Brown's great against man coverage. Duke Williams is at least very good at contested... Balls up in the air, something the Bills don't otherwise have. Then I have Isaiah McKenzie, who's good with the jet sweeps and is good at getting yards after the catch. These little gadget plays, he serves a role. Robert Foster, I still am hopeful he's going to come back and provide them another vertical threat that they don't really have other than John Brown right now. Whereas last year, who did they have that was stretching the field? and i do kind of feel for zay jones he had a different role to me almost every season but he never flourished in any of them year 1 slot receiver which what i that's what i thought his natural position was slot receiver even though he had a little more size than a typical slot receiver he tried it he wasn't good at it couldn't do it last year with no speed on the field whatsoever. Zay Jones, a lot of times, was used as the team's deep threat. He is not fast enough to be a deep threat. Couldn't do it. This year, with Beasley and Brown as the other two starting wide receivers, with really uh, only a couple of rookie tight ends and Lee Smith, not really knowing what you're going to get on the physical receiver aspect of it, a tight end, and knowing that your other two receivers weren't that, I think the role Zay Jones kind of was this year was, hey, when Josh Allen gets in trouble and there's nobody open, what's his last resort? Throw it to your biggest guy on the field. And a lot of times, that was Zay Jones. He was the contested catch guy, and he couldn't do that either. What is he supposed to be good at? I don't get it. He's not a physical receiver. He's not a very fast receiver. He does run some good routes. But what does it matter if he was always dropping the ball or if he wasn't catching it unless it was right in his numbers? It had to be done. I will give the Bills a lot of credit for doing it because so far, with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, one thing that I'm very impressed with with them is their willingness to admit defeat and adapt. They have done that on several occasions, mostly on the offense. Now, for me... It's taken a little longer than I would have hoped, but they end up getting around to it. Last year, mid-season, they call it quits on Andre Holmes and Kelvin Benjamin, despite the fact that they traded an asset, a third-round pick, to get Kelvin Benjamin, despite the fact they had a previous relationship with him in Carolina. They let that go by the wayside and decided, because of on-the-field reasons, that he cannot be on this team. And they moved on despite what they had invested in him. And I give them credit for that because, you know what? Not every coaching staff, not every GM in the league will do that. There are a lot of cases around the NFL where guys get third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances because of where they were drafted. Because of what a team spent to get that player. The Bills moved on from Kelvin Benjamin. Then this year. Zay Jones, who was a second-round pick in Sean McDermott's first draft. Not only was he a second-round pick, they moved up to get him. They traded assets and spent an asset to get this guy. And not even three full years down the line, they're calling it quits. But they're willing to call it quits. And that is something that I think needs to be applauded in this moment. Because good teams, and I think about New England for this, one thing, one of the many great things New England does is they are not afraid to admit defeat on a player like that. They're not. They'll bring in big names like Chad Ochocinco and have him on the bench a few weeks into the season. They signed Mike Gillisley a couple of years ago to a pretty significant contract. It was enough money for a running back where the Bills didn't match it. Like, Mike Gillisley was getting above-average running back money in the NFL. He played that first game for New England. I think he scored three touchdowns against Kansas City. Just a couple years ago, right after he signs with New England. And within four or five games, the Patriots decided this guy should not be on the field. So guess what? We don't care what his contract is. We're not putting him on the field. And some of the stuff the Bills have done leads me to believe that they think in a similar light. That they will value on the field production at the end of the day over where a guy was drafted, what you're paying him, or what you paid for him in a trade. And Zay Jones is yet another example of them being willing to admit defeat when it it comes around and adapt, which they have done. So I'm very happy they moved on from him and... I know you can't really be thrilled, I guess, with a fifth-round pick, but nice little bonus there that not only is he not on this roster anymore, I didn't want him in the 53-man roster. I didn't think he earned it. I didn't think if he was not a second-round pick, I don't even think he makes the 53. I think Isaiah McKenzie is a better football player than him. I think Robert Foster is a better football player than Zay Jones. I think Duke Williams is a better football player than Zay Jones. And obviously, I think Cole Beasley and John Brown are. So what was his place on this team? He didn't have one and that was evident against Tennessee. When he was replaced, his replacement-level player outperformed him. So it was an easy call for the Bills, and I'm glad they made it. And I'm glad they got an asset, even though it wasn't a significant one. So Zay Jones is gone. And a quick uh, thought on what they might be at receiver going forward. I do wonder if Duke Williams is their their other starter on the outside full-time. Because Zay Jones was getting a high snap count. Like, he was the guy on the outside opposite John Brown. And Duke Williams was that against Tennessee, but I will remind you, Robert Foster was inactive. And like many fans, I'm sure, I'm still hopeful, that at some point this year, Robert Foster can provide something for them. He has natural ability. He is fast. He showed good route running, good hands, And pretty good uh, yards after the catch ability last year. There's something there. It might not be a lot, but there's something. And I want to hope still that he provides them some sort of contribution before the end of the season. So I like Duke Williams too. I'm impressed with him. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure you get that from him every week, which you got last week. He is not that fast. He is not the best at getting open. He's okay at it. He did a great job getting open on the touchdown he scores last week. Eric Turner had a great breakdown of that play on Twitter of him using his body, using his hands to get leverage inside and then burst through the middle to be able to get a step on that corner. So he is. I'm not. I'm, he, this is not Benjamin or Holmes. Don't get me wrong there, but the way I'm going to want the Bills to eventually complete. Their offense is with tons and tons and tons of speed. And that's what Kansas City does. And it really helps out a quarterback who has a big arm. Maybe the Chiefs are too fast. Because you saw last week against Indianapolis. Indianapolis takes away the deep ball and Mahomes looked kind of lost. But that is one aspect of the Bills offense that I still think is out there that is not yet... They've not really landed on that. They've not landed on those deep balls. So I think preference wise, just because of style, I would hope that you know, you get to some of these big games down the stretch, Dallas and Baltimore and New England towards the end of the season. And I'm still I would rather have a guy like Robert Foster be producing for you and then have a Duke Williams come on and play, I don't know, 30, 40% of the snaps, but not like 60, 70, 80 like Zay Jones was. Be your red zone target, come in situationally, but I I'm really want Robert Foster still to come in here at some point, hopefully after he's healthy and win a starting receiver job back like he had last season. I'm still hopeful of that, even though Duke Williams is kind of the the hot item in town right now. Um playoffs. Like I said, I want to have some fun here. Let's have some fun. I don't care. I don't care if, it's not too early. They've only played five games. It's a third of the season. What were the Sabres through in the 10 game win streak? It wasn't half. It was less than half. And we were ready on that. I remember having a conversation, would you rather play the Blue Jackets or the Leafs in the playoffs? And that was fun. And it didn't happen, but the conversation was still fun. And here's the other part of it. Unlike the Sabres last season, conference matters more, who your opposition is for the playoff spot matters, maybe even more than hockey, and your schedule absolutely matters more, obviously because you don't play everybody. And we've talked a lot about how easy the Bills' schedule is, and doesn't it look even easier after last night? I mean, I was looking at Cleveland as one of their tougher games left, and I think it still is, but... Did you see the Browns last night? Am I really supposed to be afraid of them? Am I really supposed to think the Bills should not be able to beat them on the road? Mayfield could not do anything. They have not been able to produce against any good defense they've played. They beat Baltimore up, but Baltimore does not have the defense they once did. And they beat the Jets. I guess their defense isn't awful, but it's not great. The offense is really what's been killing them there, obviously. How many points is Baker Mayfield supposed to score on this Bills defense in Week 10? Mariota can't do it. Brady can't do it. Nobody's been able to do it. Mayfield? The way he's playing? He's got four touchdowns and eight picks in the season. He was eight for 22 last night. 49ers defense is one of the elites in the league, but so is the Bills. So, I would pick them to beat Cleveland right now. I think that should almost come naturally. Just the way both teams have looked. So, Obviously, the schedule is easy and it looks easier because Cleveland looks like an easier game. Miami twice, Denver. Baltimore has not beat anybody and they lost to that Cleveland team. Pittsburgh is starting a nobody at quarterback. And then the Jets, who I think with Darnold are an average team, but it's an average team. I could beat them. My only real, real tough game left to me is New England and maybe at Dallas, but I'm still kind of questioning them even. But. The schedule is one easy thing to point at for how likely it is they make the playoffs. The conference is maybe even easier than the schedule. It's just not deep at all. Coming into the season, part of the reason I didn't think the wild card was all that likely was how many teams looked like they were going to be really good. You had Lamar Jackson and Baltimore, like they were had expectations. Cleveland had all these high expectations. The Steelers with the Roethlisberger always have those high expectations. The Jets had high expectations. The Chargers, I I, I writ them in ink. I, I thought for sure they were making the playoffs. I thought I was very close to picking them to go to the Super Bowl. The Colts with Luck, like that was a Super Bowl contender. I had them go I them I had them in the Super Bowl before Luck retired. And you know, Tennessee has its fans, Jacksonville has its fans, Houston with Watson who's special had expectations. All these teams other than really I would say the Bengals and Miami. That's that's about it. At, other than them, everybody else had some reason to believe they could make the playoffs. Fast forward only 5 weeks. The Bengals are done. Shot. Miami out. The Jets out. The Steelers out. Denver, Donzo, nothing. 1 and 4 with Flacco, come on. That is 5 teams in the conference that you can you can carve it in stone. They are not making the playoffs this season. 5 That's a lot. That's one per week. Then you have teams that are two games back of the Bills Jacksonville. All right. Minshew's a cool story. The defense is kind of bounced back from last season, but they're not some elite team I'm supposed to be super worried about, are they? Like, they're okay, but they're going to be three games better than me the rest of the season? Come on. That's not happening. Tennessee, we saw them last week. They can't move the football. I'm not worried about them. Plus, I have the tiebreaker. Oakland is one game back of you, but I think they're kind of a pretender. Derek Carr and that defense is kind of overperforming right now. I would expect them to come back down to earth a little bit. So, I'm not really that worried about Oakland. Maybe I should be giving them more respect, but I'm not right now. Um, I didn't even finish the game. the teams that were two games back. There's more of them. Cleveland... Obviously he's two games back of you. They look awful right now. We had Daryl Ryder from WFAN, or not WFAN, um, from the fan in uh in Cleveland, 92-3 the fan, and his guess is that they're gonna end up going off the rails. He thinks it'll go one of two ways. They're either gonna bounce back and they're gonna look like the team that had all these ex- aspirations, or they're just gonna go way off the rails. And he thought, if he had to guess, that's where it's gonna happen. That's what's gonna happen. Freddie Kitchens. I mean, just making some really questionable decisions coaching-wise, if not getting out coached every single week. Kyle Shanahan, I mean, he's running circles around him. This guy's running on 4th and 9 a couple weeks ago. Mayfield can't do anything. Beckham, they can't get him the ball. He's got to play quarterback for them to get him the ball. So, and they're two games back. Are they can be three games better than me? Or two games better than me if they beat me? Not, not thinking that's likely. There's a couple of teams I'd be worried about, but only a couple. I think the Colts are legit, even without Luck. Brissett has given them just what they needed, and it's kind of gone the way I thought it would. Luck is elite. Luck was elite. Brissett is not that, but Brissett's pretty good. I think Brissett is pretty good. A couple years ago, when he was the quarterback for the Colts, hit the difference between who they had in before him, which was Scott Tolzien, and then Brissett was just night and day. He is so much better. And I think he is a starting caliber quarterback in the league. Maybe not a franchise quarterback, but he's a starting caliber quarterback. He will, if you have a good team around him, you can make the playoffs. Similar to like that of a Tyrod Taylor. Although I think Brissett is better, a little bit better than Tyrod was. The defense is there for them. The offensive line is maybe the best in the league. Marlon Mack has provided a steady running game for them for the first time in a long time. T.Y. Hilton's a legit number one wide receiver. Like they have pieces everywhere. They're a good team, they're legit. I would pick them to make the playoffs right now, the Colts, as a wild card. I don't think they catch the Chiefs even though they just beat them on the road. Super impressive, but I don't think they catch the Chiefs. And then the other team I'd be worried about, but there's really only two, and you got to get caught by two of these teams. So, I don't think their margin of error is very the Bills' margin of error is very uh is very wide here, the Chargers. I'd still be worried about the Chargers. They are struggling I'm stunned they lost to Denver. I'm really stunned by that. But they're struggling, and they're two games back of you. That's a good head start. And I, I would guess Rivers and company will figure things out, but when you have a two-game lead like that in an easy schedule, it's going to be hard for the Chargers to make up ground for you, on you. So, two of those teams. Pick two. It For me, be the Chargers and the Colts. But... How likely is that? That the Bills are going to get caught by two of that group. Tennessee, Jacksonville, Oakland, Cleveland, the Chargers, the Colts. Am I leaving anybody out? I think that's it. How many of those teams can, can seriously catch you with the schedule you have and the way the Bills are playing? It's very hard for me to envision that happening. Very hard. So now that I've told you how likely I think it is that they'll make the playoffs. I do want to talk about what will happen if they make it. I really do. I'm putting some lofty expectations on the Bills, but I think they've earned that. 803 is the phone number. A couple of things that will probably happen if the Bills do make the playoffs matchup-wise and uh, what their path could look like if we want to really think about a real season here for the first time in how long, where maybe you never know what could happen, even in the playoffs. It's the nightcap with Jody Biassi. What your calls at 803-0550 here on WGR.
5: It's probably not realistic to say that the Bills through each quarter of the season will be 3-1 and if they play the wrong end of the turnover margin. But it's a great sign. It's a sign of the talent on the team, the depth on the team, uh, that they are able to be 4-1 now with a minus 3 turnover margin. But I would assume either the losses will mount or that turnover margin will shift back to the positive at some point.
3: Bills color man on the radio side and former center Eric Wood. He was on the morning show today. I agree with him. You know, I, I think if they have the turnover margin they've had this season, for the rest of the season, it's not going to go as well as we all hope. But I think there's so much upside in the fact that they're 4 1 and they've been losing the turnover margin. I mean, turnovers, in a way, are a little fluky. Now, it's still on the team to clean that up, but they are a little fluky. They're a little unlucky. So, if that comes back to earth and the Bills are even playing even in turnovers the rest of the season, the way they've looked on the defensive side of the football, which is elite, and the way they've looked on the offensive side of the football, which is, I mean, they're moving the ball. They're top, are they still top 10 in, uh, in total total offense? probably should have had that ready to go they were top 10 going into Sunday I would bet if they're not they're at least close still um but they're certainly that in defense they're above average at least in moving the football so if they can just figure out a way to to limit the turnovers the upside for this team is through the roof and I talked about uh what their odds are of making the playoffs last segment 538 Who's pretty usually on the money with their predictions? I usually use them actually a lot for soccer. I'm a big Liverpool fan. I always look at like Liverpool's like title odds from 5:38, and I never really thought to look at their their playoff odds for the Bills. I did not even know if they had NFL odds. I assume they did, and they do. And I just looked it up during the break, and they have the Bills as the fourth likeliest team in the entire league to make the playoffs. They have New England, number one, at 99%. That seems right. They have uh, Kansas City at 90%. They have the Saints at 81%. And then the Bills at 78%. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Third in the AFC, most likely to make the playoffs. Fourth in the league. And the next, there there isn't an AFC team until you get down to Baltimore at 61. Indy at 53. Cleveland at 46. 46. There's the Bills. It's 78% to make the playoffs, according to 538. I assume that factors in. uh, 538 usually factors everything in, so I assume that factors in the schedule and the rest of the conference and also how they've played. Um, It's hard for me. I think they'll have to do – it'll be a tough job to miss the playoffs. It's hard for me to see envisioning that happening. They will have to lose to who? Are they going to lose to Washington? Are they going to lose to Denver? I guess it could happen. But, come on, the way they've looked – little. it would be pretty surprising. And they can't... That's like losing two of those or three of those. They can have a surprising loss along the way. If I, today, told you they lose to Miami on the road, which would be an embarrassing loss, they're still on track to win 10 games. It's pretty good. They're in great shape. Playoff matchups. I'm going to get to a couple calls in a second. So if you're there, hang hang on hold. I'm going to get to you in a minute here. Playoff matchups. I was looking at the playoff picture, too. Because after I kind of saw how likely it is they'll make it, I started thinking, you know, like, can they play Cleveland? Because I'd like to make that trip. I'd like to go to, I want to go to a Bills playoff game. I wasn't in Jacksonville. I'm 24. I had one chance. I was going to go to Jacksonville. That's it. It's the only opportunity I've ever had. Cleveland, hey, it's a short drive. I'm like, how likely is that that they could play Cleveland? And I'm looking at the playoff picture and they would either play almost for sure the winner of the AFC South or the winner of the AFC North. I think the North winner is going to be the five seed or the four seed. I think they're going to be the worst division winner. I think Baltimore is three and two is not really beaten anybody. Cleveland looks like Crap, and they are two and three, um, but they beat Baltimore, and Pittsburgh and Cincinnati are non factors. So, my guess would be that if the Bills get their way to the number one wildcard spot, they will play a road game against in the playoffs in the wild card round against the AFC North champion. If they are the sixth seed, or maybe the North and the South flip, they could play the AFC South winner, which could be Houston or Indy. Probably not Tennessee or Jacksonville, but still could happen. They're only a game back. But probably at Indy, at Houston. And of those four matchups, you know I'd pick them to win two of them. I would pick them to beat Cleveland right now on the road. I would even... It'd be a lot tougher, but I think I'd pick them to beat Baltimore on the road. I would not with Indy or Houston. If it was in Buffalo, I would maybe pick the Bills, but not Indy or Houston. But they're not going to have to play New England, and they're not going to have to play Kansas City. Those teams are going to probably cruise to first-round buys. Unless, I mean, you never know. The Bills could catch New England. It's not completely out of the realm of possibility, but it'd be pretty surprising at this point. Eight hundred three hundred five fifty. any thoughts you got on the team as a whole or their outlook for the playoffs? Because it looks damn good right now. Let's go to Bob. Bob, you're on the nightcap. What's up?
6: Hey, you doing, guys? Good, how are you? One of the things... But bills really need to do is obviously to get a wide receiver in my opinion guy like Emmanuel Sanders give him what they for him it's a huge it would be a huge boost to get the team into the postseason
3: well what they want is probably like a first or a second round pick and I don't know if I'm doing that
6: well I give him a second and and the other thing is they got to get Tyler Croft on the field It adds another weapon you know they paid good money to get this guy here and he is a weapon when he's healthy and he's playing and, uh, you know, they just need that extra boost. Singletary, keep these guys healthy. And then obviously that's luck, you know, making sure everybody stays healthy. But they uh, they need those guys. And, and I think one extra wide receiver would propel them where they need to be and get them over the top.
3: Bob, thanks for the call, man. My, my thought is I don't really want them to go out and get a receiver unless it's a true number one. I think they're missing a true number one. But in terms of the other guys, like they have a two. John Brown. They have a three. Cole Beasley. They have a four. They have two fours, I think. Foster and and Duke Williams, they could play. So unless I'm getting a significant upgrade over a Duke Williams or a Robert Foster, not really that interested. And Emmanuel Sanders is good, but he's not a true number one. He's in a thousand yards since 2016. He's coming off an Achilles injury. I know he's looked great so far this year, but I'd be worried. He's a 32-year-old wide receiver who had an Achilles injury less than 12 months ago. So, I agree with you. I'd be interested in him. And there's reason to think Denver will trade him. There were reports over the weekend that they're looking to trade veteran players not named Von Miller. And that includes Emmanuel Sanders. So, there's reason to think he could be available. He is good. He's not a true number one, but he's right there with John Brown. Like, he's a legit number two. So, he would start. He would be an upgrade. But... He's not a legit one, so what am I giving up for that? I'm not giving up a two. I'm not doing that. Not for Sanders. I'd do that for Diggs. I don't even think I'd do it for Green. But I wouldn't do it for Sanders. I'd give up, a you know, a fourth. If they want to do it for a fourth, I'm down. Or even a third. You might be able to talk me into it. Because he's good. But, I don't think they desperately need a wide receiver. They could use a stud number one. But, it's not some dire situation. And quickly on your Tyler Croft point, I keep thinking this like, everyone's waiting for Tyler Croft to come back and be this big difference maker. And yes, they did pay him a solid chunk of change. But to be real, this guy was not that great in Cincinnati. He was all right, he was just a guy. So he'll come in and he'll help. But he's not going to come in and change the offense at all. So don't hold your breath on Tyler Croft, like, just t- turning this offense from. 11th or whatever they are in the league in offense to fifth. Like, he's not going to make that much of a difference, even though he will be a help. Let's go to Jonathan. Jonathan, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey,
2: Joe. Um, I agree with you, what you said. I am fairly confident that this season won't go off the rails like it did in 2008 and 2011. But looking at our p- possible opponents for a card berth. The only team that really scares me is the Colts. I mean, if we get the Indianapolis, I won't like our chances. But if we get Baltimore or Oakland or Houston or Cleveland, or maybe the... Well, the,
3: they won't they won't get Oakland. Oakland would have to catch the Chiefs for the Bills to play them.
2: Yeah, but, okay. okay. Um, but, um, like I said, Indies, between the AFC South and the AFC North, Indies be my only concern. I think, I, uh, if we get anyone else, I do like our chances of winning a playoff game for the first time in a quarter of century. I mean, I expect the defense to look good, but and, and
7: like I said,
3: Indianapolis, if luck didn't go down, I'd say they'd be Super Bowl pretenders, but so, what are your thoughts? I, I agree with you. Indy's the team that scares me most. I'm thinking about them more as a team that could catch the Bills right now more than a team I could play in the playoffs, because when I'm trying to think of like, who's a great playoff matchup that could happen for them, because if this season keeps going this way, it might fall perfect for them. I'm thinking Cleveland or Baltimore. I'm really thinking a lot about that North champ. It might be really important to get that number one wildcard spot, and to do that, you have to hold off Indy. And you'd have to hold off the Chargers. You would need both of them to catch you to miss the playoffs. And that's if Houston wins the division, by the way. The Bills could be better than Houston. Indy and the Chargers could actually both catch you and you could still make it. Because if you're better than Houston. You've got to be better than all but one of the South teams. Really, that's what it is. You would, the Bills would have to finish second in the AFC South. And you'd have to be better than Chargers doable they're on pace to do it right now they're two games ahead of the chargers but i'm thinking a lot about cleveland and baltimore if, if they're going to win their first playoff game in my lifetime it's got to be or it doesn't have to be but your best uh your best matchup for that is the north champ i think i, just, I don't know what to, baltimore i still don't really know what to make of them and Cl- cleveland they have so much talent it just it, it seems like it's got to be the coaching it has to be the coaching Every time Mayfield is under pressure, he's being chased out to his right. Like, it seems like such a simple thing if you're a defense. Pressure him from the left. Make him roll out to the right. Because that's where he's been getting in the most trouble. And he does it so quickly. So, I'm not really that worried about Cleveland right now. And Baltimore, I've until they beat somebody that's not Miami, or, um, they've, they've beaten, they have three wins They've beaten Miami, they've beaten Pittsburgh with Devlin, uh, whatever his name is, the the camp arm that's going to be starting for them on Sunday into football, and they beat the Cardinals at home. Come on, beat somebody. And then maybe I'll start to worry about that. Let's go to Adam. Adam, you were on the nightcap. How's it going?
2: Uh, Hey, guys. I just heard uh, someone call up and talk about Emmanuel Sanders. Yep. Uh, Wanted to say if we're going to trade a first or a second rounder for anyone. Uh, it should be AJ Green. He's a proven number one. The Bengals are 0-5. It seems pretty clear he doesn't really want to go back there. He's not signed next year. So I think it's the perfect opportunity to grab him and let's not waste an elite defense. Let's go to the playoffs and win some games.
3: I'm on board with that, man. Thanks for the call. I, I uh I do like the AJ Green idea. I just I made this I tweeted this out last night. I don't want to pay a one or a two. And if the reporting is right from Jason LaConfora from CBS that the Bengals are getting offers of a first-round pick for A.J. Green, I don't want to go near it. I think he's great. I think it would be incredibly exciting, even if they do it, but I do not think that would be smart. Trading a first-round pick for a 32-year-old wide receiver who's on an expiring contract and has missed... What has he missed? 15, 16 games in the last year or so? He's missed almost an entire season, going back to the beginning of last year. So... One, I have questions whether he can stay in the field. Two, I have questions whether he's going to stay with you, how much that would cost in the first place if you want to keep him long-term. And three, I'm trading a first for that. So I like the A.J. Green idea too, but if there is a team out there willing to trade a a first, I hope Brandon Bean's not that guy, and I hope Brandon Bean doesn't try to get into a bidding war. So I'm on to Diggs as an idea. That's my favorite if they're going to go for a number one wide receiver. Now, I think if they're both healthy, A.J. Green's a better wide receiver than Stephon Diggs. Um... But Diggs is 25. Diggs is under contract. And he might not be an elite number one like A.J. Green is, but he's a number one. He's a solid number one. He's one of the best 20 receivers in football, I think. So that's where I'm thinking about, and maybe to a lesser extent, Emmanuel Sanders, because uh, I would anticipate that would be cheaper than A.J. Green. Um, let's get one more call in. Oh, maybe even two. Let's, let's see how many we can squeeze in here. Let's go to Buzz. Buzz, what's up, man? You're on the net cap.
0: Joe, how are you doing? Good, how are you today? I'm fantastic. Still uh, the hangover is lingering from Sunday. <laughs> but but I'll I'll deal with it. That's cool. Big huge win. Just a huge win. 3-0 on the road, you know. I mean, that's what you got to you got to, you know, people will nitpick at this at this offense and you got to remember, we're 3-0 on the road, you know, we're in the conference. I mean, we got one loss and and that one hurts. That one hurts. That one hurt because you were the better team on that day against the Patriots. You were absolutely the better team, and that one hurts. But you get another shot at them. So let's not give up on the division. I know it sounds like I'm out here. Oh, Buzz has been drinking. He's, t- he's talking crazy. Don't give up on the division
3: yet, bro. They have to play Kansas City, I believe, and we don't. Um, that that again. You're right, but that's about it. Like there, Otherwise, we're talking about how easy the Bill schedule is. The I'm, Patriots schedule is pretty much as easy. So here's the thing. I will agree with you if Kansas City is able to pull off that win over New England. Because otherwise, I don't really see who's beating New England right now. Like, maybe Philly, but I got to play them too. Like, it would be tough for them to catch New England without beating them in Foxborough, which is tough. That's kind of why I'm starting to not think about it as much, if you know what I mean.
0: You know what? what why Why not beat them there? Screw it. We haven't beat yeah, them you, here. You could, man, but like... Hit them there. It's the Patriots at Foxborough. Like, no, I know, I know, I know. But what, what I really wanted to call in, actually, my my, my I called in, was uh, the receiver issue about trading for a while out. Sure. Um, I actually will agree with uh, the, the last caller and you on. I would do AJ Green and get him um, at, a, at a reasonable price if he wants to come here and win the Super Bowl. Because I'll tell you what, this team, <laughs> it, it, for the next two to three years, the window's opening right now. It's open. Mm-hmm. I know it depends on Allen, but it, you, get a, you get him in there for, you know, signing for three years, something like
3: that. But I don't want any other reason. I don't want Emmanuel Sanders, no thanks. Are you willing to trade a first for Green? Pardon me? Are you willing to trade a first for Green? Would you be willing? Would you want the Bills to do that?
0: First for him. They won't. I bet. You, I bet you anything. They don't get a first for him.
3: I, I don't know, man. The reporting is that they might be able to. And here's who I'm thinking it might be. New England has been chasing top uh, end receivers. I wonder if they would be willing to trade the first.
0: Maybe. Well, of course they would. They always. They, they've traded their first round pick uh,
3: a bunch of times. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. So. And. And I. Get, and I would hate to see him go there because I think he. I mean, he's a quality dude. He's a really, really good guy, and I don't care if he's 32. And he has. The injuries are a question. You know, the foot injuries are a question. We're with Sammy. We know that. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I would go I, – I don't think there's any other receiver I would chase right now other than A.J. Green. Okay, I think Our receiving core isn't bad. Do we move the football? We just don't have – we can't turn it over four times a game. All right, go Bills, brother.
3: Love it. Buzz, thanks for the call, man. We will uh, get one more call in here, then we'll take a break. That will take us to the top of the hour here. Let's go to Tommy. Tommy, you're on the nightcap. How's it going?
2: Hey bud, how are you? Good, how are you? Great, great, great. Four and one. Now this receiver talk now, okay, you get rid of Zay Jones. Give Duke Williams a chance. I'm not I'm not interested in AJ Green. He's too old and they're asking too big of a price. I mean, yeah, on paper it looks great. If the guy was twenty five years old, yeah, I'd give up a first for him.
3: Well Stefan Diggs is twenty five years old and he's available.
2: Exactly. The only thing is about figs is that he's a little bit undersized in my opinion for a true number 1. And the thing is is he would fit great in this core. I'm not I'm not I'm not taking away because he's got some explosive ability, mm-hmm. but Figgs is a guy that really thrives off having somebody on the other side. Right.
3: So so you want to see Duke Williams kind of just remain as a starter? What's that? So what's your what's your point then? You want Duke Williams to kind of remain as one of the starters?
2: You know what? The guy's earned it. He come up, you know, he, he, you know what I mean. He, he grounded up yeah. through the preseason. He, he came in and he made an immediate impact. I know. Listen, we're getting excited here because you know what? It looks like we're going to be in the playoffs, and it looks like we're it looks like we could go toe to toe with New England. We might even be able to steal the division from them. You know what I mean? Because remember, we didn't have Devin Singletary in that game. Okay, and we we forget about him for a second. That guy's very explosive. And then, you you know, like, and then you factor in a receiving core. Like, if Duke Williams comes in and plays as great as he did or as bad as Zay Jones played, I'd rather have Duke Williams because at least the guy's on point. he's His head's in the game. So I, I, I'm saying that the receiving core is solid. If you can get digs at a decent price, like mm-hmm. a second or a third, or, 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 you know, even a couple of lower-line picks, then, hey, let's go for it. But I'm saying... You don't want to mortgage the future because they they have built they are in a process of building something great for years to come. We're gonna need them picks.
3: Yeah, Tommy, thanks for the call, man. I don't disagree with you. I don't think they need to make a trade like this, but the way I'm thinking is they're going to make the playoffs. That's just kind of how my thought, my my, my brain is working right now with them. Um, and if that's going to happen, I'm thinking about What is their remaining weaknesses? They don't have many. Turning over the football is certainly one of them. And maybe it's time to start thinking about how you win right now big. And there were two things coming into the season I thought they did not have. They had depth everywhere. They could fill out a starting lineup right up there with, with the rest of them. They have depth everywhere. Where were they missing franchise pieces? John Brown's great. They don't have a true number one wide receiver, at least an elite number one wide receiver. I would say Brown's playing like a number one, but they don't have an elite one. And they don't have an elite pass rusher. So far, I would say they're getting to the quarterback fine. And I would say the receivers are playing fine. They're playing good. But they don't have at either position that all pro. And no, they don't need that All-Pro. But, man, when when they're sitting here with a 78% chance to make the playoffs, I'm thinking about that type of guy. Because that is something that can put you over the top. That's something like Chicago last year. Chicago had depth everywhere. They went out and got an All-Pro in Khalil Mack, and they won 12 games. And if they had a kicker who could make a field goal, they would have won a playoff game. That's the way I'm thinking. Where's my Khalil Mack trade? I don't need a Khalil Mack trade, but you're in a position where you could make a Khalil Mack trade. I think they're there. That final piece type of move. They don't have to make it, but man, it would be exciting, and it would make sense, I think, for this team as much as anybody. It's so the Night Gap with Jody Biasi. We'll take a timeout here. We'll talk a little hockey in the next hour. I want to talk some Sabres, but let's keep rolling on the calls here. 803 is the phone number. The Bills in the playoffs. How much are you thinking about it? How much are you thinking about matchups, their odds, and... Is there a final piece type of trade you'd like to see them make? It's the Nightcap with Jody Biassi, hour two after this on WGR.
0: Time now for the Nightcap. Who
8: are you talking to right now? Do you know how much I make a year? I mean, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Do you know what would happen if I suddenly decided to stop going into work? A business big enough that it could be listed on the NASDAQ goes belly up. Disappears. It ceases to exist without me. No, you clearly... Don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am the danger. A
1: guy opens his door and gets shot, you think out of me. No. I am the one who knocks.
0: On WGR Sports Radio 550.
3: Oh yeah, there's a Breaking Bad movie coming out. I'm a big I'm the biggest Breaking Bad fan on the planet. I'm a psycho about it. I'm a nerd. Everyone's gotta be a nerd about something, right? For me, it's Breaking Bad. I've seen it five times through, maybe six at this point, lost count, and I'm currently watching it in reverse, because why not? I'm not really actually fully watching it in reverse right now, like kind of, kind of picking it up once in a while. Uh, other shows have uh, caught my interest, like Succession Season 2 on HBO. Great, great show. What else? There's something else I've been watching. Oh, also The Righteous Gemstones on uh, on HBO. A lot of HBO shows for me recently. I was never uh, into their shows, you know, like as a kid, obviously. But that's like all I watch now. It's like Curb or it was Game of Thrones or watching The Sopranos through uh, about a year ago. I hadn't seen it yet. Um, And then now it's uh, The Righteous Gemstones and it's Succession. So, But anyways, that was about Breaking Bad, that opened. El Camino is coming out, I think, next week. I'm going to double-check that. Maybe it's the end of the month. Um, Jesse Pinkman. They're going to be following Jesse Pinkman around, seeing what happens. So if you're a big Breaking Bad fan, look out for that on Netflix. I've heard it's going to be really good um, from people who have seen the kind of pre-screening. On Twitter, at least. I'm not like saying I've had a personal conversation with these people. But it's getting some good reviews so far. So I'm excited. I'm pumped. Uh, Bills. Playoff odds. 78%. Watch your calls at 803-0550. Do you think they're primed for like a final piece type of move here? An all-pro player type of trade? Kind of like what the Bears did with Khalil Mack last year? Um, Let me know what you think. And uh, one thing that I found interesting that I didn't mention when I mentioned 538's playoff odds for the Bills, um, they have them at 78%, which is fourth likeliest in the league. You look at that top 10, and the Bills are the only team that really they don't give much of a chance to win the division to. 538 gives the Bills a 12% chance to win the AFC East, which is not nothing, but it's 12%. And everyone else that's on this list that's got above 50% odds to make the playoffs. The Patriots 88% to win the division, Kansas City 82% to win the division, New Orleans 72, San Francisco 42, Green Bay 49, Philly 57, Baltimore 53. Everyone's got about at least a half uh, or a 50/50 shot to win their division that are likely to make the playoffs. So here's the Bills at 78% to make the playoffs but only 12 to win the division. So 538 uh, data seems to suggest that the Bills are very likely uh to be a wild card team this year. So um that means you got a road playoff game and uh I out of selfish reasons hope that Cleveland even though they haven't looked very good, maybe manages to win the North and like, you know, they, they could win the division at eight and eight, the way it's looked uh, eight and eight, nine and seven Cleveland in a bad year for the division ends up winning. And then the bills are going to Cleveland. Hey man, we took over Nashville stadium, probably a lot harder to take over Cleveland stadium. I would think in a playoff game. So I, I would, I would hesitate to say there's going to be 25, 35,000 fans. Like there was in Nashville, but, uh, It would be definitely the most doable drive possible uh, for Bills fans if they wanted to see a playoff game this year. That's probably the most likely uh, scenario for, like, a close playoff game. I I can't see them getting a home playoff game. It's so hard for me to see it. You'd have to win at Foxborough or New England's got to drop a couple of duds against a very easy schedule. It's basically the Bills' schedule, except they have to play Kansas City, which is – that's not nothing. That's the second-best team in the AFC East right now. Um, But that's, like – their only big big challenge, eight zero three zero five fifty is the phone number. We'll get into hockey a little bit later too. Let's go to Mike. Mike in Buffalo. What's up, man? You're on the nightcap.
2: Hey, how's it going? Just uh, following up to your last question about if they need to trade for a wide receiver or if it's good enough. I think the receiving core is kind of good enough where you don't need to trade unless it's like a top receiver for a nice price. But unless that, I think the question with the team is just if Allen can grow as a quarterback. I'm not saying he hasn't grown yet, but he has to grow a lot more if he's going to take this
3: team to the next level. I agree with that. Um, thanks for the call. I wonder like what that next level is, though, because their level right now is a wildcard team. That's what they're playing like. The next level beyond that is we are, we are topping New England, I think. And that I agree with. They will not win the division. They will not win a playoff game, even, unless Josh Allen reigns in the hero ball. Again last week, another interception with him playing hero ball. Why throw that pass? I don't get it. I think it's an instinctual thing for him. The good news is it's not happening. It's happening maybe like once a game right now, but the way their defense plays and the way the offense performs when that's not happening. They're designed to be able to eat that one big mistake per game and get away with it. So, it depends what you want them to be this season. If you want them to make it to the divisional round of the playoffs, then yeah, he's got to rein that in. If you want them to win the division, then yeah, he's got to rein that in. But, I think they can they can make the playoffs. I think they could win 10-11 games with him playing like this. It's working. This recipe is working. Now, they're not going to get... Kickers going two for eight for the rest of the season, so they've gotten some lucky breaks. Um, but the, the competition does not increase, and that has me thinking that even though you got lucky with some kickers early in the season, it doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't mean they got all these easy games coming up. They can't just win them outright, even if he's making a mistake or two like that per game. I think it's working. 803.0550, i got to get to an extra break in this hour as I skipped one last hour, so I'm going to do that here, and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little a uh, little bit more about the Bills, and I want to get into the Sabres. Um, some thoughts on the loss in Columbus last night. Everyone seems to be thinking that they got dominated, and I don't think they ran Columbus out of the building for sure, but I thought they played well. Advanced stats will tell you they played well. We'll get into that in a second here. On the nightcap, 803.0550 is the number here on WGR. All right, welcome back to the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. A lot of good Bills talk this uh, this show, I thought. I'm happy that the Bills moved on from Zay Jones. I'm happy that their playoff odds are 78%, which is an amazing number to me. I don't think I've ever seen that number, except when, right when Andy Dalton threw that pass uh, to Tyler Boyd. Let's do a quick cap. On our Bills talk for the night before we get into Sabres to close out the show, because I got some thoughts on the lineup, some of the line combinations, one individual who is still on the team in the top six. I'll get into a second. Let's do a quick cap on our Bills talk for the night, and we'll do that with our interview of the day, which is Eric Wood. Always good. I think he's doing a great job. With the radio broadcast, I'm the uh, radio network producer, so I'm here listening to uh, to the game, and I have a unique position where I hear the bro- I hear the play about five seconds before it actually happens, um, maybe even a little more, maybe six or seven. And you know, when I first started as the network producer and experiencing that, that was really annoying. Now maybe it's just I've gotten used to it, but I kind of I don't know if I like it, but like I know when to really dial in for a play. And long story short, though, I am listening uh, to the radio broadcast every time, every single play, and I think Eric's doing a great job. He's bringing some numbers to the table, which I like. He seems to be there with some of the analytics. He's brought up a stat about – likelihood of the next team to score if you punt with inside the 10 like that was something you brought up last uh segments like 90 something percent so he's had some good information i think he's done a really good job uh as the bills color guy on the radio side so far so i thought his interview today with howard and jeremy is really good this morning so that'll be our interview of the day here is eric wood with howard and jeremy
8: we are going right to the west her hotline and we're going to talk with bill's radio analyst eric wood who's joining us right now on wgr and uh, eric it's howard and jeremy good morning sir welcome to the show
5: Good morning. How you guys doing?
8: Doing well. Thanks for coming on with us today. Nice to have you on the show with us. Yeah, my pleasure. I was reading your column at uh, buffalobills.com. Some interesting thoughts to get to, but since you're an offensive lineman by trade, let's start there. The Bills spent a lot of time and effort to overhaul the line in the offseason. Eric, can you kind of give us an overview of what you've seen from the new look line so far through the first five games?
5: I think they've had a great year so far, and and that's coming from a preseason where they, they have their – You know, one of the highest-paid players on their team, the highest-paid center of the football at the time of the contract, Mitch Morse, was out the whole preseason. And they had some injuries, some guys shuffling around, and and that probably paid off for him last game uh, when Mitch and Cody Ford both had to miss time with Ty Insecki not even dressed for the game. But, you know, it's well known that Brandon Bean and his staff – wanted to address the offensive line going into last year. They bring in six free agents. They draft early in the second round, Cody Ford. And I think it's paying dividends. And I think when you have a second um, year quarterback that you draft in the top 10 last year, you have to put protection in front of them. And with him still on his rookie deal, you could pay guys like Mitch Morris and you could bring in a number of free agents that all had starting experience. So um, all those things said, I think it's paying off for him And, um, it's really helping out their offense through
8: five games. Eric, when you uh you know, you brought up the, the all the changes and the Morse injury. could you talk a little bit about when you have those that many uh those those new guys, right? So four new starters on the offensive line, what that process is like in terms of trying to get them all to, to play together to quote get on the same page.
5: It can be a lot more difficult when you bring in guys that haven't played before in and started games and, and when Brandon Bean and his staff identified the offensive linemen that they wanted to bring in, their top two criteria were smart and tough. And those guys you can generally play with, um, you know, without much experience next to them. You know, don't have to rely on um, each other to make your calls for you, to know what you're doing, um, which sounds um, – which may sound a little off-base, but uh, there's just so much communication that goes up front. But when you have smart and tough guys up front – uh, it makes it a lot easier. And, and last game, man, you have Ryan Bates getting his first action in, a, in an NFL game at right tackle, um, filling in for Cody Ford, who, tie in already down. You got Mitch Morse out. You know he, he leaves the game, and then you have John Feliciano slide over. You have Spencer Long come in. Um, it's a lot of shuffling, but through the preseason, they were used to it
8: you uh, as a former center I uh, was wondering what what when you watch Morse Mitch Morse play what stands out or what do you admire about his game
5: yeah I think he's very consistent and, and that's one of the top things for an offensive line is just consistency play after play and I, I think he's just a consistent really good ball player um, I didn't see it a lot in Kansas City uh, but Greg Roman this year has him pulling out in space a good amount and, and part of that's some of the run schemes that Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach, brought over with him from the Indianapolis Colts from last year. Um, But but these pulling schemes, he's he's able to show off his athleticism, he's stout in pass protection, and – uh, the Bills are getting a great return on their investment in him so far.
8: With Cody Ford, Eric, if you could talk a little bit about what you see from him. And I think, uh, you know, the, the issue he's having, it would seem right now, is dealing with speed guys off the edge. Is that something that a, a right tackle can get better in, in terms of protecting and blocking those guys?
5: Yeah, I believe so. And, and he struggled with speed, but a lot of tackles in the NFL struggle with speed. And, and I'm not letting him off the hook. Uh, there's been times where he's been beat this year, and he's definitely got to get better, but he's only five games into an NFL career that, that it looks like will be a very long one. Um, and, and whether it's at tackle or guard, the versatility he brings is extremely valuable uh, because at this point of the season, they're, they're pretty far down on uh, their, their numbers are low at offensive tackle. They cut Connor McDermott last week, uh, and then they get this rash of injury. So, um, you know, between him and Dion, neither of them are the 6'5", 6'6 type. They're both more in the 6'3 range. Uh, but both those guys are, uh, Dion, probably elite athleticism, at left tackle over there. And Cody Ford, a good enough athlete over a right tackle. And whether his long-term future is at right guard, right tackle, or wherever it may be, um, he is a productive player.
8: Last few games, it seems like the Bills are having a little bit of an issue. Josh is having trouble against the blitzes. Maybe the the lines having some issues with pass protections with the blitzes. The Patriots, the Bengals, a little bit. What are you seeing in terms of how they're handling all of that? What kind of challenges does that present for the line?
4: Yeah,
5: any any, any complicated blitz schemes can be tough for the line. Um, you know, a lot of times it's it's hard for to identify who's at fault in situations like that. Was it on the quarterback? Was it on the running back? The offensive line, a lot of times when there's free hitters, a guy that comes free and nobody accounts for, um, a lot of times that's not on the offensive line because you have protection rules and it's up to the quarterback or, uh, you know, maybe up to a quarterback to change the protection so you can pick up that free blitzer or... It's on the quarterback, the wide receivers, to throw Mm hot, to get the ball out quickly and beat the blitz. So um, I never played for Brian Dayball, which actually makes it great for me to be on the radio for the Bills because I can talk in terms that I never feel like I'm ever giving away any secrets because I didn't play for him. But it also makes it difficult in a situation like this when you ask me a question that I truly don't know the exact answer for. Uh, but it's something that I'm sure that they'll address
8: during the bye week. Eric Wood with a Spills radio analyst on our Western Hotline. You wrote about Josh Allen in your column, one of the points about how he bounced back from the Patriots game. But I wanted to ask you, big picture, through five games, uh, it, it sure seems like he's making progress. So wh- how would you, not necessarily grade him out, Eric, but what are you seeing in terms of his development through the first five games of the season?
5: You know, I like what I'm seeing in year two problems. You know, I think the, the added protection up front and the added weapons at receiver have been huge for him. You know, you got guys, John bringing in John Brown and Cole Beasley were excellent additions. John Brown um, has great speed, but he's also an excellent route runner, a guy who can consistently beat man coverage. And you often see, first man-to-man, that's where Josh Allen is looking to go with the football. And then versus zone coverage, Cole Beasley is... A master at sitting in zones, running option routes, just destroying linebackers that try and play zone coverage over him in the slot. And so, those those have helped Josh. But you know, he just looks more comfortable out there. Take at times he's taking what the defense gives him. At times he's trying to force the ball, make plays, and, and we've seen some mistakes. And my my point on that will will be at least for the time being. I've played with so many quarterbacks in Buffalo that got critiqued for being way too conservative. And this early in Josh Allen's career, I like that he tries to take chances, especially the deep ball down the field to Zay Jones in the New England game. You know what? Good quarterbacks in the NFL take shots down the field in one-on-one coverage, and oftentimes if the ball is slightly underthrown, the wide receiver comes back and plays defensive back for you. And, and I, you know, I don't want to – too big of a deal about one play and, and, and they just got traded and all that. But um I, I do like that Josh Allen's taking shots down the field even if the turnovers aren't too high uh for sustained success throughout this season.
8: You know, with the mistakes, you know, if you're if you're playing on offense, Eric, and you have that good a defense, don't doesn't it make you feel It gives you a little bit of a comfort zone, doesn't it? As an offense, you know that you can be aggressive. If you make a mistake or two, it's not necessarily going to kill the team because your defense is playing at an exceptionally high level.
5: Yeah, it kind of goes twofold because, you know, I remember uh, head coaches throughout my career in Buffalo, when we had really good defenses tell the offense, whatever you do, don't turn the ball over. Well, a lot of times those were our least productive weeks. Uh, that I played it because you're trying to be too conservative. And, and uh, to your point, when you do have a great defense, sometimes you can withstand um, a, a, a turnover or two throughout a game. Now, to win the Jets game with with the amount of turnovers they did there, that, that's not sustainable. That's that's playing too far on the other end of the percentages of throughout history. But um, you know, and you bring up the defense. The defense has been absolutely incredible this year. And when you look at Going into the last game, the Bills had the most turnovers in the NFL, and they still were fifth in the NFL in points given up. That's absolutely incredible.
8: Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't. And you had a note. Seven, you had a note too. Of them they're, them they're off of block i I'm sorry.
5: And seven of them come off of a block
8: one against New England. Yeah, you had a note in your article. You know they're four and one, even though they're minus three. I mean, a lot of coaches, Sean McDermott included, always talk about takeaway giveaway and how important a factor it is. The Bills are minus and they're still four and one.
5: Absolutely, and and I just mentioned sustained success. Sustained—that's That's tough. <laughs> success, <laughs> sustained yeah. Success. It probably isn't. It's probably not realistic to say that that the Bills through each quarter of the season will be three and one if they play the wrong end of the turnover margin. But it's a great sign. It's a sign of the talent on the team, the depth on the team, uh, that they are able to be four and one now with a minus three turnover margin, but I would assume either the losses will mount or that turnover margin will shift back to the positive at some point.
8: Eric, final thing for you, you know, you, you got the Bills radio gig now, and I, you're doing ACC Network too, right? How, how's broadcast life treating you?
5: It's good, and this week I have a true bye week, so normally I'm mm-hmm. heading out of town on Thursdays to the ACC City, and then I don't get back to Louisville until... Sunday night, Monday evening, depending on where I'm at and, and what's going on. But um, I'm, I'm enjoying being around the game. I'm enjoying calling the games. Uh, it's been fun to prep for and, and meet coaches and whatnot um, throughout this experience. But uh, this week I have my ACC crew is off and the Bills have a bye week. The guy I do ACC football with is a guy named Wester, and He does yeah. um, Falcons football and he's done college football for a number of years as well. And Wes said in 16 years of doing both, he's only had one time that the off weeks lined up, and I get it in year one. So um,
8: I'm
5: I'm looking forward to this week, a little time at home with the family, kind of recharge myself a little bit. You know, it's it's way different. I'm I'm not sore like I was as a player, (laughs) but um, I've I've watched enough – I've watched enough – college football and NFL tape this year. Um, I'm ready for a little break, and I'm looking forward to an ACC schedule where all the games now will be, you know, ACC versus ACC. Uh I, I've enjoyed all of our games, but Holy Cross at Syracuse wasn't, wasn't uh, <laughs> exhilarating to
1: prepare for. I mean, we can only do so much if we're playing Holy Cross. No, Syracuse has not had a great year. Eric, I was going to ask you, Mike, Schopen and the Bulldog yesterday were talking about if anybody wanted to, they could go to the Cleveland game this week. Cleveland's home against uh, Seattle. Seattle. I'm yeah. looking at this week's schedule. If you were a, a Bills fan that wanted to just spend a Sunday at a stadium at, an, at a random game... Which is your your opinion the best to go see if you, if you could make it anywhere in the NFL? Wow,
5: that's that's a great question. Um, well, I would probably say uh, like Lambo is pretty special just because of the history. I, and and um, I had this conversation with somebody recently because I was bragging on um, someone on the national seat, because I was bragging on the Bills fan base and how well they travel and it was somebody down in Nashville because they were talking about all the different fan bases that come through Nashville, and they said there's four fan bases that are different from everyone else, Buffalo being number one, uh, Kansas City, Oakland, and Green Bay. Kansas City and Oakland are two pretty cool – or sorry, Kansas City and Green Bay are two pretty cool places to play. Green Bay, the historical concept um, and and all that goes with that. Kansas City's a little – it, it feels like a little bit bigger of an atmosphere. You're, you're around more stuff. You've you know, you got a bigger city, obviously. Um, but those, those two places are pretty cool places, I would assume, to go take in a game. I haven't taken in a game at many opposing NFL stadiums. Some of these new stadiums um, are super nice, though. I mean, I went to Minneapolis for a game last year to watch the Vikings play. Um, a buddy of my, one of my good friends, Kyle Rudolph, we went and saw him play last year. And we had tickets in a club level that had lower-level access. And, and I'll be honest, we never made it to our season. <laughs> but the, club level, the club level in these NFL stadiums, plus the Bills were on. And last year I had to write an athletic article for the Bills and all that. So I'm like, well, I want to watch part of the Bills game anyway. So we sat in the club and, I mean, the food and drinks and amenities at these places now are just outstanding. I say that I would take the Orchard Park game day experience over all of them and when i talk to my buddies they would do the same you know they they make a trip up to buffalo every year and um they absolutely love
1: it yeah i feel like if you only kind of care about the game maybe you stay in the club level and if you're very invested you're out and you're watching it
5: oh absolutely and and sometimes those super nice club areas can be distracting and Mm -hmm. um and take away from the overall atmosphere so uh Maybe we just stick with New Era Field and, and kill off all the talks of this gorgeous dome that may get put wherever the next
1: rumor is. Well, if anybody has the free time and the ability, the teams you mentioned, the Packers, the Chiefs, are both at home. Minnesota is home this week. You know, maybe Baltimore. Baltimore's a drivable game if you wanted to get yeah. to Baltimore yeah. against uh, Cincinnati. You can go there and root for the Bengals. So, you know, you got a bye week. You got to spend it the way you, however you can. Yeah. Eric, thanks
8: for coming on with us. We're glad you're enjoying the work in broadcasting and uh, that it's much uh, much less physical on the body there, unless like Murph elbows you or something like that during the broadcast.
5: <laughs> yeah, no elbows from from Murph. Uh, last game, two games ago, we had um, Art, our stats guy, in there, and, and I grabbed him on his shoulder real hard after a nice <laughs> Bills play in the Patriots game, and... Uh, he is, he is a slender built man. I said, "Sorry, Art, right, I, w- I won't do that to you ever again."
8: Yeah, you got to be careful uh, there. Yeah, yeah.
5: I know it's a, it's a different environment up there. I'm I'm I'm, I'm still uh, even though I'm down a few pounds, I'm, I'm still a big <laughs> dude in that booth. I got to be careful up there.
8: Well, appreciate you coming on with us and giving us your time this morning, Eric. And enjoy your family time
3: this weekend.
5: I appreciate it, guys. It's been fun.
3: There he is, Bill's color analyst Eric Wood. We will take a timeout here and we will get into hockey for the rest of the show. We'll get into some Sabres talk. Um Spodka. Still. Still. It's not the end of the world. They're doing all right. We'll get to that in a second. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biassi here on WGR. Everything we
5: do here has come out of group discussions. So yes, we coaches make the final decisions. Players have a voice here in Buffalo and we we have a real open dialogue going on. And we're finding whether it's in our our structure on the ice or the way we practice or the way we do these things that, you know, we carry these decisions together and it's either all or nobody. It's nobody tomorrow.
3: Ralph Kruger, Sabres head coach. You know, he's, he's my guy. So I want it to go well. But there's some questionable decisions I think through a couple of games that I'm uh, I'm worried about. I'm not gonna lie. Um, really, it's mostly the Sabotka thing. Him still being on the second line. It makes me worried that yeah, you, you want this coach to think differently than past coaches. And in that, in what I mean by that is, if it comes to a player versus player decision, a lot of times in the past, and a lot of times, almost every hockey coach if all else is equal, we will side with the guy that has the bigger contract that's a veteran player. Why? Because in a lot of cases, it's easier to either scratch or demote the young player that might not have an expensive contract and that you can send down. That's the easy thing to do. And in a way, Sabatka's being on this team right now, to me, is that. He does some nice things in his own end once in a while. He's a little bit above average at face-offs. But first of all, he's not even playing center. And two, he is hurting Jeff Skinner and Marcus Johansson on that line when they are in the offensive end. A sinkhole for offensive creativity. I don't get it. CJ Smith, for instance. I remember him last year. He was creative offensively. He was helping with shot production. Is he as good in his own end? Probably not. But is that really that much more valuable? Shouldn't I be trying to surround my $9 million pure goal-scoring winner with as much talent as I can? If he's not going to be playing with Eichel, Johansson's nice, but how about another one that can help out? I can't believe it. And it makes me worried a little bit that once they get healthy on the blue line, Montour comes back, Pilot gets healthy, Bogosian gets healthy, Who's going to be in the lineup? Will Pilot and Yoki Haru be in the lineup? Because here's the thing. For what they're trying to build, what Bottro's trying to build, those guys fit. Those guys, to me, are better. And they will produce more for you and make you a better team than the Scandellas and the Bagosians. But, if it came down to, right now, Scandella and Bagosian versus Pilot and Yoki Haru, who's in the lineup? Because it's easy to send Pilot to Rochester. It's easy to send Yoki Haryu to Rochester. It's not easy to scratch $7 million worth of players. More than that, actually. Scandell and Bogosian are $9 bucks together. You're making a statement by doing that. But, at the end of the day, if you're getting more on the ice, that's what should matter. And that's why I wanted Ralph Kruger here, because to me he presented possibly something different, and possibly a guy who can make that call and have the guts to make that call. But he has not done it with Sabatka yet. So I'm worried that the blue line will look the same, will have similar decisions like that. I don't want guys like Scandella and Bogosian playing over guys like Yoki Haru and Pilot. They're playing well right now because of their ability to pass and really stretch passes. And that's what Pilot and especially Yoki Haru do great. So I'm questioning this coach a little bit to start the year with some of his lineup decisions, but I'm giving him a break because he just got here and I'm going to give him a little bit of time to figure it out. But I hope he does figure it out because I wanted him to be this team's coach and Bachero wanted him a couple years ago. He got him this time. Like this is his guy, but I would say all in all their style of play, how they're playing. He does have them playing and looking like a different team. So Really, the only thing to even be critical about him right now is Sabatka being in the lineup. Otherwise, the team looks great, even though they lost in Columbus last night. I thought they played pretty well. If that's a a bad game for them, then they're going to be a playoff team this season. (laughs) They get a point on the road. Like, If that's a bad game for them, you get five out of six points. Pace that out. You're a playoff team. 8030550 is the phone number. Let's go to Eric. Eric, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap.
7: I mean, wow, you really took a lot of my points there. Um, oh, sorry, man. I, I, I recognize it's, uh, it's you know, three games into the season. I just, I've seen it on Twitter, and it's funny, and, you know, you laugh at it, but, like, you would think Saboca's got something on the Sabres organization, getting those, quote-unquote, second-line minutes. I know Ralph says that there's no which line is the uh-huh. line, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, I can respect the things that Saboka brings, you know, experience in the league, sure. Face off, like you said, sometimes sure.
3: Well, Eric, to your point, like Kruger's mentioning, like, each line has a different role, and that makes sense. Like, the Eichel line's job is to what? It's basically to score. The Larson's line is to lock down the other team's line. The uh, Middle Stats line is kind of be like a complementary scoring line. What should the job of that Johansson Skinner line be? It should be to provide offense. And if that's the case, and that's the role of that line, Spocka does not fit that. Like, it'd be different if he was playing with, like, Larson and And You said, all right, his role is to be, like, a two-way guy and help shut down the other team's line. Okay, fine. I still don't want him on the team, but at least you can make that argument. There's no argument to be made that he fits what the role of that line should be.
7: Right, right. And, I mean, Johansson is a really good compliment to, to Skinner. You know, Yeah, he's not definitely. Old, but but he, he's definitely better than Stat in terms of distributing the puck. He's looked really good and he's, uh, this early on, like, going through the neutral zone, possessing the puck in the offensive zone, creating chances on the rush in the in the offensive zone. And that seems to be like a really good pickup for the Sabres.
3: I, I completely agree. Like
7: you said, I just don't understand what the Boca's role is. Evan Rodriguez, he might not be, you know, a second-line, quote-unquote second-line winger, but he definitely adds more offense to this team than the will ever add.
3: Oh, 100% agree, 100% agree. Thanks for the call, man. A lot of good points. And you're right in Johansson. Um, he's a good signing. He is a puck carrier. He is really good at zone entries, and they didn't really have that outside of Eichel last year. Like, Rodriguez did it a lot, and he's okay at it. Like you said, like he has some offensive ability. He's not quite a second-liner for sure, um, but he gives you more. So I hope that once they get fully healthy, he'll be the right winger on that line because I think that line could be really good. If it's Rodriguez, Johansson, and and Skinner, I think that could work. But it feels like they're playing shorthanded when 17 is out there. Yeah, Johansson and Skinner are doing nice things, but they it feels like they're playing shorthanded. Give them a little more help. 8030550 is the phone number. Last call on the nightcap after this on WGR. All right, I got a couple minutes here. Last call on the nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. There is a uh, very disturbing trade rumor, and I, I want to put emphasis on rumor and not report. Um, because the guy that is tweeting this, I have never heard of, and... Dan Salio. Never heard of him. He's got a blue check mark. I don't know. Uh, maybe he's legit, but some people are telling me that it's not, but we'll see. Uh, he is tweeting out that the Giants have taken calls for Eli Manning, uh, trade, and he mentions that Eli is in no trade, from... The Bears, Vikings, Steelers, Jaguars. Makes sense, right? Vikings don't really have a backup, and they might want to move up from Kirk Cousins. Steelers are down to a training camp arm as their quarterback for Sunday Night Football. The Jaguars have uh, Minshew in, so that could have been a call in the past. The Bears are missing Trubisky. And there's one other team. And he mentions the Bills. And maybe that's where I start to think it's not legit. Why would the Bills want Eli Manning at, at all? So maybe they called him when Ma- Allen first got his concussion? But like, what? Makes no sense. None. Matt Barkley right now is, a to me, a better quarterback than Eli Manning. And if even if he's not, it's close. They're both guys that don't have huge arms to turn the ball over a lot. <laughs> like that's the same thing? Why do I need him? Why do I need him at all? It's a terrible idea. I don't want to be- I don't want to believe it. I'm not going to believe it. There's good reason to not believe it. But the best reason to believe it is there it makes no sense for the Bills. Why the hell would they want Eli Manning? So, I'm hoping this rumor is not true and um, my guess would be that it isn't. So, it's-, it's weird though. It's interesting. I don't know why it's even out there. Um I also don't think he will move he'll leave there. We had Jordan Renan, Giants reporter, on uh, during right before the Bills played the Giants, and he was talking about how like it, he doesn't think it would ever happen. He's got kids that in that area, uh, that, that, like he doesn't want to move, he doesn't want to leave the area. And maybe there was some reason to think that at one point, maybe the Jets would have been would have worked for that because they didn't have Darnold and they were trying to keep their season afloat, and that's the same stadium, that's the same city. He wouldn't have to move, um, but that didn't happen. So. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going to ride out the rest of the season as the Giants back up, and then he's going to retire. That's, that's going to be Eli Manning. And please, if it, he would leave and would sign, sign off in no trade, Bills, don't, don't do that, man. Don't do that. Please, please don't trade for Eli Manning. I, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through that. I'm a big Eli Manning critic. I, I just don't. I don't really think he's ever been a star quarterback in the league his entire career. And he's going to make the Hall of Fame. When was he ever a top five quarterback in the league? Ever. And he's going to make the Hall of Fame because of two games. And yes, they were both in the Super Bowl. But one of them scored 17 points. And the other, I don't even think they scored a whole lot. Although, I'm trying to think off the top of my head on that one, so don't quote me on that. Um, two games. Yeah, they were the Super Bowl. How about the other 400? Where he's been just a, just an above average quarterback. That should not get you in the Hall of Fame. Two games. Out of 400, should not get you in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. And I don't want to have to, I don't, want, just don't do it. Whatever. Probably no point bringing it up anyway. It's probably not legit. All right. Thanks everybody for listening to the show tonight. Follow me on Twitter at SneakyJoeWGR. I'll be back with you. Well, we got hockey tomorrow. Canadians and Sabres face off at 7. That'll be here. Um, So I'll be back with you actually Thursday, Thursday at noon. I'll be filling in for One Bills Live with my brother Lou DiBiase on Thursday and Friday. So uh, I'll talk to you next on Thursday at noon. So until then, have a good night. NASCAR fans, stay tuned because you got NASCAR Live on the way next. Talk to you on Thursday. This has been the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR.